Um, let's take a moment, and I'm going to pray. And I just want to pray for you fathers. We want to pray for our nation. And let's just take a moment to give this morning to God. God, we thank you again for today. Um, we come here Sunday after Sunday, and we talk about freedom that comes through your life. Freedom from forgiveness, freedom from this world of sin and sin and death. And Lord, it's a day in our country that for many, this idea of freedom took a long time to get. And so today we even acknowledge that. And God, we pray that we would be people who model freedom. We model equality. We model that love that you have for every person. And it's rooted in who you are and the goodness of who you are. And so, God, we pray that as a nation we could have healing and, and health and that we as Christians could model that among each other. And, God, we also want to pray for our fathers here this morning. I pray, Lord, for everyone who's in here today feeling like, I just don't measure up. I didn't get it right. I stumble, I fall. God, would you fill us all with just the joy of knowing you and with your goodness to know, Lord, that you are enough for us. And that, Lord, we trust that your love and work through and in us will carry off to our families. So, God, would you just encourage all the fathers today? Would you remind us of the good father that we have in heaven? And, Lord, the best of our ability, allow us to just pour out that same love to our family around us. We thank you, and we pray for this morning in your name. Amen. Well, again, great to have you here. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 4. We're going to get there in a little while. Uh, you are welcome to use a digital version of your Bible if you prefer. Uh, we'll be getting there in just a moment. Now, we are, uh, it is Father's Day, and so I want to start off with a question for you. Have you ever asked for something and got the answer to it, but it wasn't really the answer that you wanted? It was a correct answer, but it wasn't really what you were looking for. I, I was thinking about that, and that's actually the heart. That is the whole foundation of dad jokes. Do you understand that? That your kid comes in the room and says, Dad, can you make me a sandwich? And so we say, abracadabra, poof, you're now a sandwich. No one? Okay, just me. All right. So, yes, I'll make you a sandwich. So it's, this is what you actually asked for, but it's not the answer you wanted to receive. I was thinking, uh, I found some photos, and I'll, I'll put them up in just a moment for you, but these are kind of the, this is in honor of Father's Day, but this is people who, they are taking it so literal that the answer maybe is not what they thought. Like, look at this first one. I think it speaks for itself. <laughs> Little slow at 9 a.m. service. That's okay. Hey, take your time. Uh, the next one, don't put the next one up yet, but the next one was a dad came in the, the kitchen and said, hey, I would love to help you cook. What can I do? And so he was told, here, go grab that bag of potatoes, peel half of them, and boil them. And so this is what the dad did. <laughs> did what he was asked. Did what he was asked. Um, I, this next one, I'm not even going to say anything. Just put it up there. This is for you today. Okay, so I, can, I like how some of you are just getting there. If, if you need to ask the person next to you, go ahead. That's fine. Um, and before you put up the next one, this was, uh, it happens. Uh, a daughter asked her dad and said, hey, I want to be a transformer for Halloween. Can you make me a costume? I want to be a transformer. So the dad said, sure. So he did this. <laughs> she looks very amused. <laughs> 
So sometimes we ask for something, but we get the answer, and it's the right answer, but it's not what we wanted it to be. And today what we're going to see in just a little while, we're going to get to a story today where the disciples were asking Jesus for something, and they got the answer, but it wasn't necessarily what they were looking for. See, we're in a series this summer called The Good Life, and it is a series where we're going through, it's a study of really the work of the Spirit in us, it's the fruit of the Spirit, and we call it The Good Life, and we're not calling it the prosperous life, we're not calling it the perfect life, the easy life, or the comfortable life. It's a good life because Jesus said, I come that you may have life and life abundantly. This is the life that Jesus has designed us to live, and it is good, though it is sometimes difficult. And it is sometimes not the way we want it to be, or we think we, we think we want it to be. But it's the good life. It's a work of the Spirit in us, and what we're going to be exploring is how does God grow His Spirit in us throughout um, our lives. And so that's what we'll be looking at. Now, what we're looking at here today is uh, we start off by looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. There's nine characteristics, but it's one fruit. It says the fruit is this, this evidence of the Holy Spirit working and producing something in you. Now, here's the cool thing. Just like fruit in your garden or vegetables in your garden, that already exists in you. We don't somehow force it and produce it. I don't make a tomato kind of come up out of a tomato plant. The DNA, the everything that is needed for this tomato to be a tomato is within it already. And I create the the soil and cultivate the land or the, the ground so that the tomato can be produced. It's very similar in our spiritual lives that what we need, the fruit of the Spirit, is in us already. It's as when we're in Christ. The very nature of God is in us. The Spirit is within us, and we cultivate the garden so the fruit can grow. So today what we're going to do, though, even though it's one fruit, we're going to double-click on one of those characteristics today and kind of look at what does this look like. But I want you to know, in studying each of the characteristics individually, we're not saying, hey, what we're going to do is just focus on, I'm going to be a person who, where peace is a part of my life, but not love. Or, or, or the, the characteristic, I'm going to let one part of the Spirit grow in me, and I'm going to have kindness, but not goodness. Would that make sense? Or I'm going to grow, and I'm going to be someone who has faithfulness, but no self-control. So you can see the fruit of the Spirit are not pick and choose and say, these are my strengths, these are my weaknesses. I'm just going to focus on the strengths and go with that. They grow together. So I say that as we study each individual characteristics, know that we're not saying it's only about one. It's about all of them growing in us. But we want to understand each of them individually. So we're going to look at the characteristic today of peace. Now when we talk about peace, this uh, it has its root, it's a Hebrew word, shalom, maybe, maybe, maybe many, many of you. That sounded funny. <laughs> I'm like singing all of a sudden. <laughs> maybe, maybe, many. All right. Shalom. Some of you, I'll skip maybe, might know what that means or have heard it before. Maybe we say, oh, shalom, shalom. Often when we think of shalom, we think of the lack or the absence of conflict. In fact, as a parent, some of us just want shalom in the house, right? And what we mean is just, just everyone, just stop doing what you're doing. I need some peace. And so often we think of peace being the lack of conflict or the lack of fighting or the lack of noise. 
But the, the Hebrew word shalom is much deeper than that. It actually, in Hebrew, means completeness. Or when we think of God bringing shalom, it's restoring things to how they should be. We even have the use of the word shalom sometime in Scripture a couple times as used as repairing a wall. Putting a wall back to the way it's meant to be or, or completing the construction of the temple brought shalom. So it was completeness. And this is, in Hebrew, many of the words are related, and this were related to the word shalem, which is perfection or wholeness. So you have this idea of peace is not just the lack of conflict, but it's the presence of something. It's things as they are meant to be. And so when God wants shalom, he wants things to be restored to the perfection of creation. So that's the idea there. The Greek word for peace is arene, and it essentially means the same thing. So when we read this today, it's that word that's related. Now, I like the way Tim Keller talked about when we experience peace or shalom or God's shalom, he defines it this way. He said, shalom, uh, as we look at this next one up here, uh, this, this definition is confidence and rest in the wisdom and sovereignty of God more than your own. So when we think of shalom in this sense, it's confidence and rest in the wisdom and sovereignty of God more than your own. When we have experienced shalom or peace, it's because we say, God, the way you say things should be put together, the way you say things are whole and complete, when we have confidence in that, in God's sovereignty in his ways, we say, okay, now I can start to experience shalom. So I want to have that idea. Now, as Tim Keller was talking about these, he also talked about what is a counterfeit to real peace. And I love this idea. He said a counterfeit, a counterfeit to it was indifference, apathy, or not caring. That's a counterfeit version of peace. Someone who's, the world is coming apart around them, they're like, you know, I, it, I'm at peace. Because you know why? I don't care. How many of us say that? That is a false view of peace. It's actually not real shalom to be apathetic or to say you don't care. Your family is falling apart. You say, I'm at peace with it. I just, whatever. I'm at peace. That's not the same of saying, no, I have confidence that God is present and in his sovereignty. So we want to be aware of those. Now, what about peace does God want us to experience? Before we get to the story, it's important that we start with a foundation because I believe this, that we'll never experience the peace of God until we have peace with God. It's hard to experience the peace of God and believe that what he gives to us and how he wants to restore and make things whole, it's hard to really have confidence in that until we have peace with God. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, meaning by putting our faith and belief in Jesus Christ, he said, we have peace with God. We now have peace with God. That now there's no more animosity. God is restoring that broken relationship. And until our relationship with God is restored and healed, until we have that barrier of sin that's removed, that's removed from Christ, we can't have peace with God. Now, some of us in here believe in Jesus. We put our faith in him and trust his saving work in our lives. But you still feel at odds or at battling with God because of sin or struggles in your life. We want to set you free from that. We want to remind you 
that in Christ, he says, no, your sins are gone. As far as the east is to the west, so far have I removed your sins. Where's the east pole or west pole? Does anyone know? It's very interesting that God doesn't say as far as the north to the south. We have a north pole, a south pole. We don't have an east pole or a west pole. God says, as far as the east is to the west, you're not going to measure it. It's not going to stop. That's how far I throw your sins away. So this morning, even if you're battling in sins and struggling and have your ups and downs of life, we want you to remember that in Christ it is finished. Amen? And when we are confident in that, then we can be confident we have peace with God. And that peace with God now becomes the foundation to experiencing the peace of God. And now let's look at our story in Mark chapter 4, where the disciples were looking for peace. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. Let's go all the way down to, uh, towards the end there, in verse 35. It says, On that day, when evening came, He said to them, this is Jesus says to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Now they're up in Galilee and they're going to cross over the lake of Galilee. And if you're like me, you grew up hearing, it's called the Sea of Galilee in many of our Bibles. So I pictured like a sea. It's big, right? The Mediterranean Sea. Maybe, maybe for those of us who lived in the Midwest, maybe a great lake. At least be a great lake, right? At least be like Lake Michigan or something. It's not even that. Sorry to disappoint you. Uh, but it, to them, was a, a pretty big lake. It says, let's go to the other side. And as they go to the other side, leaving the crowd, they took him alongside uh, with them and in the boat, just as he was. And there were other boats with him. So Mark throws in this detail. The other disciples don't. He says, there was other boats with us. Mark was very determined to make sure people understood uh, that this is a historical account, and he added some of these details, so you go like, oh yeah, there were, I remember that. So there's other boats with them. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. So again, here's what happens on this lake, and it's a big enough lake, and it's 700 feet below sea level, and there's mountains, Mount Hermon is not far from there, and so there, it was known to have these great winds that would come up in the afternoon. And anyone who has been to, I, I used to take the youth wakeboarding at like Lake Mead or Lake Powell or any of our lakes in California or the Southwest that are all fake, uh, that in the afternoon, what happens? Often the wind kicks up, right? And it goes from wakeboarding is no longer fun, but what's fun? Inner tubing, because you can try to kill your students behind the boat with you. It's, it was a joy of mine as a youth pastor. So you'd see them fly like 10 feet up in the air. I have a former student here who's probably benefited from that before. So, uh, and that was, those big winds would come up. Now this happens on Galilee, on the Lake of Galilee very often. And it came up and it said the boat started filling up with water. These are not great boats. These are boats that were made 2,000 years ago with 2,000 years ago technology. Uh, They were small. They did not have very powerful motors. And uh, so when the boat starts filling with water, you're in trouble. You got a few things to do. Uh, One, uh, some of you need to get a pail and start bailing out the water. That is very important part of the job. The others will be pulling on the oars, and maybe these also were probably sailboats, so someone is fighting against the wind with the sail. Now, we know four of the disciples for sure were experienced fishermen and probably had seen this before. But they also had a tax collector with them. 
and they had, uh, they had Thomas, who we now know as Thomas the Doubter. How would you like to, when your boat is filling with water, have Thomas the Doubter with you? Who says stuff like, oh, let's go to Jerusalem and die. <laughs> it's like, how would he be like, eh, we're not getting out of this. I'm just going to see you guys. It's been nice knowing you. I mean, so here's the scene. They're filling, the boat is filling with water. And check this out. Jesus was in the stern, that's the back of the boat, asleep on a cushion. <laughs> How many of you have ever been in a storm of life and you were thinking, hey Jesus, are you asleep? What are you doing right now? I'm, can't you see? I'm bailing the water out of the boat. We're paddling against the wind. I'm trying to figure this thing out. Are you asleep? What are you doing? Aren't you supposed to be the one who's awake? He's asleep. And they wake him up, and check this out. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Hey, can't, uh, we're bailing water out, we're paddling, and you're asleep. Do you not care that we are perishing? And here's the interesting thing. This we, did it include Jesus? Or was it like, hey, do you not care that we're going to die here? I actually think they're saying, hey, um, in case you didn't notice, the boat's sinking. And we all, you're included, Jesus, we're going to sink. <laughs> you're about to die. We are perishing. We're in the middle of the lake. Here's a bucket. Why don't you just do something? Would you? What are they asking for at this point? I don't think they're asking for what they're about to get. I think what they're saying is, wake up. We need someone else to help bail the water out. We'll let the fishermen go ahead and take care of the, trying to get the boat going the right way, but your job is, here's a bucket. We're going to die if you don't start bailing the water out now. Don't you care? I wonder in our lives how many times have we asked that question. Do you not care? Or here, here's what you should do. Here, God, here's a bucket. <laughs> this is what I need right now. This is what we need. We're, our family's struggling financially. Here, here's what you can do for us. You can get me that raise. You can get me that job. If you want, you can give me a lottery ticket. That'd be sweet. <laughs> here's how you can solve this, Lord. Here's what you need to do. So they come to him and they say, we're perishing. Do you not care? And Jesus got up. I love this. He rebuked the wind, which, by the way, this is an interesting thing. He rebuked the wind. This, he usually only uses this language when he's talking to evil spirits. So there's some question about, was Jesus acknowledging where, that maybe there were some spiritual forces that were causing the wind? Or, or is it just the language Luke was, or Mark was using? We're not really sure, but it's interesting. He rebukes the wind, and he says this, Hush! Hush! And be still! Actually, in Greek, it essentially says, be quiet and put a muzzle on it. That, if you want to have like a spiritual home, parents, you learn that Greek phrase and say it to your kids. It'd be fantastic, wouldn't it? Put a muzzle on it, but say it in Greek, and it's way more spiritual. So Jesus says that to the storm. Hush, be still, put a muzzle on it. 
And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. I just happen to think that that's one of those moments where the disciples were like, uh, or you could do that. <laughs> that works. Oh, we don't need the bucket. I don't think the disciples were expecting Jesus to step up and be like, oh, okay, the storm, let me just calm the storm. Now, one of the things we see in a story like this is there's a temptation to think that this is the, the conclusion we'll always get. That in the middle of the storm, if we just call on Jesus, he's going to calm your storm. Wouldn't that be great if it always worked that way? We, we know that it doesn't always work that way. In fact, the Apostle Paul, later in the end of the book of Acts, was on a ship. He was going to Rome. And he was in a fierce storm in the Mediterranean Sea for a couple weeks. And the storm was raging, and the boat was being torn apart, and they threw everything overboard. Finally, they threw all their food overboard, and Paul was there saying, hey, I trust that God has a plan right now. Don't you think that would be a moment we'd be like, hey, God, how about we calm the storm? I heard that story about the time you said hush. In fact, if I was Paul, I probably would have come to the deck of the boat and tried it and looked at the wind and said, put a muzzle on it. No? Okay. <laughs> Sometimes he doesn't calm your storm. Last week, our speaker, our friend Chris, was sharing a tragic story in his own life and how he was trying to process and learn what does it mean when God doesn't say hush to the waves. It comes to a point where I, I love one of the things that Chris shared was this. Of we're tested, we're tempted, or we're asked to trust God's ways, his will, and his timing. And when God's ways and his will and his timing don't match with ours, we tend to question him in his goodness and say, well, maybe you're not good. Maybe you're not in control because your ways aren't matching mine and your timing's not matching mine and your, your will isn't matching mine. And I love when Chris said he had to come to a point where he had to decide, do I believe everything I said I believe about God, or should I just walk away right now? And it wasn't about whether the storm stopped or not. Now, should we ask God to calm the storm? Let me just say, yes. He's our Father. He wants us to come to Him. If you feel like you're in a storm of life, there is nothing wrong with saying, Lord, if you could, could you calm the storm? When we were talking about this at our teaching team, we were reminded of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was about to give his life to die on the cross, and he, his prayer to the Heavenly Father was this. Father, if it's at all possible to find a different way than crucifixion, I'm all for it. If you could calm this storm, would you do it? He said, but if you don't, your will be done. See, sometimes our storm is not calmed, but in this case, it was calmed. And there's a reason it was. Look at how it continues on. And Jesus, now he calms the storm, and then he looks at the disciples. I, I imagine it was probably pretty quiet in that boat, would you not think? <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> and he looks at them and he says this. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Sounds kind of like an interesting question, though. Why are you afraid? 
I'm surprised Peter didn't say like, well, just because our boat was sinking, maybe that's one reason. (laughs) Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Was Jesus saying, hey, didn't you know if you were with me, nothing bad would ever happen to you? Did he say that to him? No. What was he really getting at? What was he talking about? Why are you still, why were you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Do you not believe who I am yet? After what you've seen? Are you still struggling to believe that I'm the one? That I'm God in flesh? Look at their response. They became, guess, look at that. Very much afraid. The Greek here is phobo, it's where we get our word phobia. Phobon megala, megaphobia. It was a stronger fear. He said, why are you afraid of this? And their response was they were filled with even more fear. And they said to one another, who is this that even the wind and sea obey? In other words, they took their fear from the circumstance and they put it on God. And I would say this was a healthy fear. Because all of a sudden they said, whoa, we stand in the presence of one who can calm the storm if he wants to. One who, if he lets us sink, he'll be right there with us. One who we have to trust in the sovereignty of this one. And they felt mega fear. It reminds me of Isaiah when he comes into, has this vision of entering the throne room of God. He sees this image of God and his response was, woe is me. In other words, if this is how big you are, then I have a fear right now. Now, this isn't a fear of, oh, I'm I'm this worthless person that can never measure up. No, you can't measure up. But it's a fear of, if this is you, you are that big, that sovereign, that worthy of praise. Even the the wind and the waves obey you. If that's who you are, that changes something about how I live my life. How many of us are not in fear of God because he's not that big in your life? That he's just a part of, he's your Sunday morning, you give him an hour, hour, 15 minutes if you get here on time, and and maybe he's just kind of a part of your life. And so he fits in, but there's no fear of God. He's just kind of part of life. And when the storms come up, you can ask him, hey, you want to calm this? Or do you want to bail the water? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how we should fix this. But when we get to a point where we say, the one who can calm the storm and the sea. Wow. I want to follow this God. I want this God in my boat. And if my boat sinks, you know who I want next to me? This God. That's the one. If, if all crashes down around me, I, I don't want to be away from this God. So when we're talking about the peace of God, we're talking about this confidence and the sovereignty of who God is. It should cause us to to respond. It should make us different. We shouldn't walk out these doors and say, oh, that was nice. We should walk out these doors and say, oh my goodness, this God, he's with us. He loves us. Look what Paul writes in, uh, actually, Jesus said this. I want to give you this verse too. Jesus says this in John 14, verse 27. I have it on the screen for you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Sound familiar? 
He says, I want to give you my peace. And my peace comes with my presence. Paul writes this in uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. He says, uh, preceding that, he says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayers and petitions. Present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart. He doesn't say, I'll give you all understanding. Wouldn't that be better? Present your request to God and he'll let you understand what's going on. That would be nice. Why does my family member have cancer? Why did my kid die? Why is my marriage struggling? Why do I keep working, have these issues with addiction? Why was I raised in the family I was raised with? We want that understanding, but God says, present these requests and the peace of God, which transcends, it's bigger than any understanding, will guard your heart. And this word is a garrison of soldiers. And the idea of heart is it will protect your emotions. It'll protect you in the middle of that. Will it make it easier? No. Never. He doesn't say I'll make it easier in the sense of I'll take it all away. But it makes it easier because now, as we said in the song earlier today, we don't always know what the day will bring, but we know the one who brings the day. There's something different about that. You with me on that? When we know the one who brings the day, there's a confidence, there's a peace that can well up in us. The old phrase is, the flavor of tea comes out in hot water. I think sometimes God allows us to go through things and we see what flavor of peace or what flavor, flavor of trust or what flavor of all these things come out in our lives. He's doing something in us. He's building our confidence in who he is. When he looks at the disciples, he says, do you still have no faith? What he's saying is, can you trust that I am who I said I was? Can you trust that I'm the God of the universe here with you in the boat? Can you trust that? And that's where the peace comes from. In the middle of the storm. You know, I, I think in the last couple of years, everyone's experienced some degree of a little bit of storm. Would you agree? <laughs> And there's a temptation to look at what we've been through and, and to say, well, my storm's not that big. And I want to just give you a couple things to think about. Here's a couple things to think about that I want to encourage you with. One, don't diminish your own storm. Don't say like, oh, we heard Chris teach last week. That's a storm. That makes mine feel so small, I don't even want to, I don't even want to come to God with my storm. Because I'm a little San Diego rainstorm. That's my life. It's raining, it's inconvenient. I'm still going to hunker down at home and light a fire, but, <laughs> but you diminish your own storm. Oh, mine's not big enough to bother God with. I want to tell you right now, your storm matters to God, whether it feels small or it feels insurmountable. All right? Your storm matters. Don't diminish it. The other thing is this. Give yourself some time. Don't think you'll leave here today and say, oh, the preacher said to have peace, the peace of God, so I have peace now. <laughs> Give yourself some time to grow in your trust and in your belief. It's okay. It's going to take time to really grow in this. But use this prayer. God, help me in my unbelief. It's a biblical prayer. I want to trust you in the storm, but I'm having a hard time. Help me grow in that. 
I want to encourage you with that. Don't leave here and say, I don't feel peace. I must not be a Christian. No, no, no. That's not, we can't just magically get it. It's a growth. It's learning to grow in faith in who Jesus is. We're going to end our time and respond. I want to invite the band to make their way up. One of the things that we're told throughout Scripture is Jesus himself becomes our peace. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, he says that. He says, Paul writes, it says, he himself is our peace. He's made the two groups one, meaning taken the Jews and Gentiles and brought them together, the dividing wall of hostility, that God is, Jesus himself becomes our peace. And this morning, we're going to end our time, and we're going to end our time in a time of communion, which for us is a reminder that Jesus came that we may have peace. Peace with God, and then experience the peace of God. But Jesus is in the boat with you today, whatever your storm looks like. And he wants to produce in you this peace, this confidence in the sovereignty, this rest in who he is. And so we're going to go to the table in a moment, and we're going to have uh, some of our leaders on each side who are serving for you. And as you go up, they'll serve uh, a bread and the cup and remind you the, the bread represents a body of Christ broken for you. The cup represents the blood of Christ shed for you. So I want to invite you to go up in just a moment and receive those elements served to you today as a sign of communion, as a sign of even being a part of community. Because one of the best ways that we can learn to grow in our peace is to not be alone. To have other people who speak into our lives and sometimes just say, hey, I know you're in the boat right now and it's rocky and I'm here with you. Sometimes that's all we can say. I'm with you. The real presence of Christ is shared and seen in and through us to one another. So this morning as you go and receive communion, know that this is a, a communal thing, the presence of Christ. And then as you want, you can take communion if you want to go back to your seat or find a place around the room, if you want to pray, if you want to do it in solitary, if you want to take it as a family, however you want, it's your time. But we have a couple songs that we're going to end with, so you have time to respond. And so let me just pray for you. God, I thank you this morning. As we go to the elements of communion that we're reminded of the, your body that was broken for us and your blood that was shed for us. And Lord, it wasn't just some mythical idea and some part of this ancient myth, mythology, but God, this was your fulfillment of making things right, giving us peace with you so that we can experience the peace of you. So God, today as we remember your life, your death, your resurrection, remember that there's a promise made through your shed blood that cannot be undone. Would you give us confidence in who you are today? We thank you now in Jesus' name, amen. So feel free whenever you take communion and then come back and join us and stand and worship. It's your time. Let that be a reminder for us as we leave wherever storm that you're in that we have a God who wants to help us grow in our confidence in his sovereignty, to know that he is the only one who can bring us that peace in the storm. And, and so today as you go, we want you to go in confidence in the sovereignty of God. And he asks us the same question he asked the disciples. Do you still have no faith? Or are you willing today to say, no, I, I surrender. I give it over. I trust you. So he's asking us today.
Will you trust him as we go? Let me pray for you, God. We thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the reminder, Lord, that we're going to go through storms. And God, some of our storms are going to feel like fierce gales and feel feel like we're going to be buried and sinking and drowning. And Lord, some of them, maybe they're not as big, but they're just as important to you. And so God, wherever we're at in this room, Lord, would you give us a confidence in your sovereignty today? Would you give us a confidence in, to know that you are present and you care? And Lord, that you are God of the valleys and of the mountains, of the fierce storms and the calm sea. That that's who you are and you are with us. Lord, let us go today in the confidence of knowing who you are and the power of your spirit. In your name, amen. Hey, thanks for coming out this morning. Uh, Turn to the person you said hi to earlier. Go grab a cup of coffee or have a dad's root beer together. And we look forward to seeing you next week.